Welcome to the North Texas Leadership Podcast. This is a resource from and for the diverse network of ministers, churches, and ministries of the Assemblies of God. I am your host, Lennon Noland, and I'm here today discussing what is so important about being ordained with the chief himself, Dr. Clunch. <laughs> You know, Love that's it, my Larry. favorite thing to do. <laughs> I, friends, this is a, a joke that I have beat to death. Every time we have a meeting here in the office and the boss walks in, I'll have this queued up. You got to let me know if it starts getting on your nerves. Oh, I kind of like it. Good. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Good. Well, I did suggest one of the last times we had you on that I suggest we keep a marching band on standby just so you can have the entrance you so richly deserve. Yeah, oh, boy. Come on. Sort of, yeah, I know, I know. Okay. Well, welcome to your podcast, Dr. Hey, Clinch. Thanks. I appreciate it. Great to be with you, Lennon. Yeah, and thank you for making time for this. This is fun. This is fun. Well, we're, we're going to talk today, when we did say, we're going to call it What's So Important About Being Ordained. If you, friends listening, are in the Assemblies of God, and you most likely are listening to the North Texas District Podcast, the term ordained is one that, if you don't fully understand it, you've at least heard it over and over again Mm -hmm. at different points. And so, um, Dr. Clunch, we have really spent a good deal of time Yes, we have. Talking about ordination, yes. digging into it. And in fact, at this last district council, we ordained on one evening the largest group of men and women in the history of the Assemblies of God. As far as we know. At one time. Yes. And that has been cleared with our secretary, Donna Barrett, mm-hmm. at the national office. She confirmed that, that as best as they can see in the records. And so this was the culmination of months of focused labor for us. Right. By the way, let's mention the number. We ordained 74 that night, right. but actually had ordained two others, so a total of 76. So just wanted to throw that little fact in there because we're very proud of it. Well, we're making a record here. We should celebrate that. What was it, Dr. Clonch, that led us to place such, because that was the culmination of a lot of work, a lot of strategy. What was it that called for an emphasis on ordination at this time? Practically, we had quite a few of our ministers who were not moving forward to ordination. Many of them had been certified and then licensed, and then they just kind of stayed there. So we began looking at it and said, you know, I'm not sure that we've ever clearly articulated why is ordination important. How do we move people from just saying, well, I'm licensed. I can do everything pretty much that I need to do. I can marry and bury and do all of the pastor So there is uh, a need to articulate that, which we did in an article that I wrote, and we did a regional tour teaching about that uh, and tried to make the case biblically, first of all, and then practically as to why that is important. And so God God helped us, and we've had a lot of people respond, I think, because of that. We really did. In those tours, those were, um, those were meetings with everybody in different regions who mm-hmm. were licensed and had the opportunity to move forward. As you did your dive into the research, not that, of course, you didn't know what ordination was about or for, but the fresh articulation of the why and everything. And as you did dig into what does it mean to be ordained theologically, practically, what are some of the things that either hit you in a new way? way or perhaps fresh angles that you learned on this? First of all, let's mention that what ordained means. It means to be appointed, uh, to set in place. Jesus appointed, called 12 disciples, and he ordained them in essence, sent them out. Uh, The Apostle Paul and his team, as they went uh, traveling through their various missionary journeys, it says in every city they appointed elders or bishops, and those two terms are interchangeable in the New Testament. And so in order for the church to be sustained and survive and become a mature body, they had to be qualified leaders who were set in place for that. So that is 
is the meaning of the word. Now, for me, I came to understand the really the relationship between the call of God because it originates with the call of God. Right. And then the recognition of the church in two ways. First of all, the recognition of ordained leadership in the church, the administration of the church. If we go back to Acts 15, we have the council in Jerusalem, and Paul brings uh, and Barnabas bring their report of Gentile ministry and talk about the Gentiles receiving Christ. And it was in that setting that having presented their case, uh, led by James, the brother of Christ, uh, half-brother of Christ, we might say, they said, we believe this and they release them to continue their ministry. So it is the the leadership of the church, those who have been ordained into ministry, set in positions of leadership, then the body also recognizing, we recognize the call of God upon this individual. So those things converge, and that really came clear to me as I realized, for example, let me just mention this, in Acts 13, we have uh, Barnabas and Saul, as it stated at that time, that are at Antioch, and there are prophets and teachers, and there are people there. It's like a convergence of the gifted people of God, and the Spirit of the Lord spoke and said, separate me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work which I've called them. Then the body further prayed and fasted, and then they sent them out. So it clearly says the spirit sent them, but the body sent them, and the leadership of the church in Antioch approved it through prayer and fasting. That's a pretty dynamic convergence of the call of God the recognition of leadership, and the sending forth and endorsement of the body of Christ. One of the things that you looked at during your research process was the, of course, in the Assemblies of God, we sort of have this um, three-track process to the point of ordination, certification, license, and then ordination. And one of the things I heard you mention a number of times, which was a good reminder, was that at no point was certification or license meant to be uh, terminal, like the terminating point, but that ordination has always been, from our fellowship's uh, point of view, where we were looking forward to getting men and women to. And for many years, the only credential that was recognized in Springfield was ordination. The certification and license did become later a more systematic flow intended to provide the training and experience, but ultimately the goal was move towards ordination. That is the ultimate credential that places you in a position to serve in about any capacity uh, within the Assemblies of God. Now, in many cases, churches require ordained minister to be the pastor. Right. Uh, I use the example at uh, 9-11, Ground Zero. The only people that were allowed there to help in that critical time were ordained ministers. So even outside the church, secular society recognized that the ordained minister has a level of uh, preparation that you don't recognize at any other level. Some organizations have maybe two levels. But in the Assemblies of God, through the years, this developed. But uh, we've challenged our ministers without in any way degrading or denigrating certification or license. We value that. But it is to move us forward in experience, in training, in education, and just practical experience to be ready then to become an ordained minister. What is it that you say to the man or woman who is faithfully serving at their post in, in a local church, on the mission field or somewhere, and they are, as you've mentioned, at a point of license they can marry and bury, and they don't necessarily feel 
held back for what they're doing, nor do they see in themselves any sort of desire to ever be a presbyter or I don't care if I can be on the committee and no one's ever going to come knocking on my door at a national assemblies of God election to be and who would just simply say I just I know that's not in the cards for me what would you say to that you have done so much good teaching here on what you've called the DNA of the call right you know first of all we looked at some of the reasons why people said that they didn't move forward to ordination that's right some said well it costs more money well, actually, now there is a little higher fee for renewals, but uh, for tithe, it doesn't cost more. And then we also had some people saying that they didn't want to take the exam for mm-hmm. ordination. Well, that's kind of gone away now. If you're moving up, so you don't have to take the ordination exam. That's true. And that's been a big win. As a matter of fact, let me talk about the DNA of the call. From my own personal experience, which I share in the teaching, we say, well, I don't want to be a presbyter. I don't want to be a district leader. I'm content doing what I'm doing. And again, the call is really where it begins. And so it by no means you cannot do quality ministry without being ordained. Right. I'm going to talk about why we move forward. But, you know, in my life, I had several points in which God kind of redirected me, but I really thought I would be a pastor until the end of my ministry and never saw myself serving in a formal capacity for the district, certainly. But there was a time in my life, I would pastored 30 years into my 30th year, whenever I began to feel a nudge to uh, allow my name to start running, I would pull my name off just about every election. So I was elected to serve on the committee of the South Dallas section, which was the largest section at that time. And then I was elected presbyter And uh, I struggled with that because I said, God, you've called me to be a pastor. Of course, I was still pastoring while a presbyter. And the Lord spoke to me uh, as I was struggling with that one day. And he said, uh, kind of a strange phrase, but he told me, he said, everybody has to take their turn at bat. I guess God likes baseball, Lennon. I suppose so. I guess so. But I knew what he meant. He he didn't say you're going to be elected presbyter, but what he did say is you need to leave your name in the game. So I did, and I was elected. And then uh, I was elected to the EP shortly after, then assistant superintendent, and then uh, superintendent. I always was afraid. I don't want to fight a lawsuit. That's why I didn't want to be presbyter or anything else. When I was elected presbyter, I spent the first six months of my my term as presbyter in court twice. Right out of the gate. <laughs> right out of the gate. However, right now on your radar as a minister, just speaking to you, maybe you just got certified or maybe you've been certified for a long time and you haven't moved to license or you've been licensed for years and just didn't feel the need to move forward. Or maybe you're on staff at a church and you're not yet credentialed at all. Yeah. As I, as I was right. at one point years ago, and you're just, mm-hmm. why would I want to enroll in the classes yeah. and even get started? You need a nudge, but you don't know what God may have for you. I didn't know. I, I, this wasn't even the radar for me as I was going through those years uh, up to that point when God began to nudge me to leave my name up for elections. And so... Um, I challenge our ministers to start moving forward. I got a call from a missionary uh, in Central America, and uh, he had been an MA. He's done a great job. He said, you know, I really feel like this is what I want to do full-time, but now I've got to come back, be appointed as a full-time minister, fully appointed missionary, raise my support. And he said, also I have to be ordained. And he said, I have only have a license. And he said, oh, I wish that I had pursued ordination, I wouldn't have this delay. We worked it out. I said, look, by the time you finish your term now, 
you go through uh, orientation, itineration, and start working on your ordination. By the time you go, you'll be pretty close to getting it done. So uh, I challenge our ministers to don't, don't look at certification and license as a terminal point. But continue moving forward so that you are fully qualified to serve in any capacity that God may move you in later that you don't think will happen now. Let me also bring this up, Lennon, if I may. You know, we choose, in a way, which organization we're going to partner with. And in this day and time, new generations of young people, young ministers, sometimes they're not as loyal to a particular denomination. It's not as important as it was earlier. And I hope that's not a put down. It's just, but you know, I'm, I'm assemblies of God. I thank God for other churches that are doing incredible jobs uh, in reaching the world for Christ. And I believe in that and partner with them. But if I'm going to be assemblies of God, you know, I would, I just want to be fully bought in to what this organization, right. what this fellowship does in all of its missionary outreach, its global outreach and Believe in God for Revival in America. Uh, Because there are three levels of credentials, that's what's been decided in the wisdom of the church, uh, and it's worked well for us. Let me just challenge our ministers. Go all the way to ordination and believe God that you're in a position where God can then move you in any direction he wants you uh, to be moved in. You're really tapping on my own shoulder there. That's really reflective of, of my own journey. At every point during my life in ministry so far, really, I had only moved forward when I had to. Yeah. And so, and the reason was, I loved what it is I was doing. Sure. I was focused and as faithful as I knew how to be to what I was doing. Absolutely. But I did not necessarily have any sort of affinity for the mothership. Mm-hmm. And so the Assemblies of God is what the church where I was serving happened to be. Yeah. That's that's how I sort of felt about it. And so whenever the Lord had called us from Angelo State to Duke, and I began to go through the process toward national appointment, uh, it was pointed out, you're not even certified yet, uh-huh. and you're supposed yeah. to be licensed before you can begin to move forward at that point. And so immediately I jumped in and began to do again what I had to do to fulfill my calling. Good. Got certified, got a, had a provisional license and then had to Mm -hmm. sit about doing that. And as I did and I began to move forward, one of the things I've learned is we in the office have gone through this process. I was one of those 74 who, you know, Mm -hmm. was ordained at this year's. I was very proud you did that too. Well, it was about time. (laughs) But the way that I have begun to think of it is, you know, we are all committed to our call, but what you are saying there is important. Um, What you're asking us to do is also to be committed to the fellowship. And you're saying, you know, we don't know what's in the DNA of our call, and that is absolutely true. And whether or not we will ever be um, a presbyter or a committeeman or a district official, because we are in this fellowship and because we... We love this fellowship. What you're saying about if I'm going to be in, I'll be all the way in, that is not just a, an emotional push to me. It is something I've come to, I think, realize Yes, that, yes, these men and women, we are all part of something. And I have the freedom to go out somewhere else to and to serve in something non-denominational with no sort of structure or requirements. We all do. But we don't want to because we love this thing right. that we are a part of. And so uh, I thank you for this emphasis because this has been a big teaching point in me. I've always been committed to my call. Sure okay, you have. But let's also be committed to the fellowship, these men mm-hmm. and women who I'm privileged to serve with in the Assemblies of God. And let me say that this isn't an obligation. It's a privilege, 
Right. It's an opportunity. You know, I had a little bit of kickback from a couple of people, and it was just an honest uh, question and answer. We've already had a Q&A right. in this regional tour. Say, are you saying to me that my status as certified is not really that important? Or my status as licensed, uh, when you say by all in, are you telling me I'm not all in because I'm not ordained? Absolutely not. There's a place for the certified minister. So, no, we're not saying that you're not fully bought into it if that's where you are or if you're licensed. But we are saying that as you have the opportunity, uh, moving forward to ordination is a, is a privilege because I just believe in the bigger mission of the Assemblies of God. I believe in what God, this is the church that I've been raised in pretty much all my life. It's been good to me. It's given me opportunity for ministry. Uh, I've been mentored by Assemblies of God ministers. And so I value this fellowship. Uh, I value it because I believe it is fulfilling the mission of God. When I look at the 16 fundamental truths and I go back and I, you know, read, you know, memorized them and read through them, said, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. I'm not a part of the Assemblies of God just because I was born into it. Actually, it was because I believe in it. I believe that it is being led and no organization is perfect. We all know that. But this organization has given me the opportunity to fully participate uh, ultimately at the ordination level. And could I add just one more thing? Yes, sir. I did find this in research uh, that the the name ordination, term ordination, uh, goes back into the Latin ordo, the really early word, which was a military formation of the Roman army. And it was the what was called the shield wall. It was shield to shield. When when those soldiers joined those shields, it became an impenetrable wall and really led to the victory over of many battles. And we also sometimes use the name of a collegiality of ministers. Mm-hmm. You know, as an ordained minister, I'm a part of that collegiality of ministers, that fellowship of ministers, and we are joined walls. Some of those walls, those shields have a C on it, some have an L, and some have the O. It's just that we're together, and uh, we're mentoring, and we're we're serving together. So it's a privilege to be credentialed as an Assemblies of God minister. And one other thing, we also are saying to our churches, this person, certified, licensed, or ultimately ordained, has proven themselves to be qualified and experienced and trustworthy for you to call to be minister in your church or on the mission field or evangelist or whatever it may be. And so um, it is a approval. In Philippians, Paul wrote back to the a church in Philippi, and he said, You received Timothy, for you know how productive he's been with me in the ministry. There was that commendation of service, and the credential at least gives us the realization this person has applied themselves, they have experience, they've been called, and a appropriate group of leaders have affirmed that call through the interview, the test, and the conferring of the credential. And that is very important. We can all and are all responsible to diligently study the Word. The credential process and the courses and everything does, as you're saying, commend someone to a congregation that they have met sort of agreed upon standards of doctrine and that they aren't simply pulling things um, out of their own understanding, not checked against any historical orthodoxy. And so that's very important. Beginning to wrap up, Dr. Kalanch, this year at District Council, whenever you 
were um, laying hands on those 74 men and women. One of the things we learned going into this process is that our median age for an ordained minister was 63. And so wanting to see our district and fellowship continue to go on to the future, we know at least a little, okay, we need to add some some younger men and women to our ordained ranks. So what did it mean to you as you pray and lead us into the future of what the Lord has for the North Texas district to see such a diversity in age, stage, ethnicity there. Um, We had our oldest ever ordained minister at 72. We had our youngest ever at 22. What was that like for you that night? What did it make you think? You know, but to be honest with you, I have never, think I think, experienced anything so wonderful as uh, we had the three altars and people were being anointed with oil by our other executives. And then I had the privilege of laying hands on them, praying for each one of them. Just took about 40 minutes, but that was uh, moving in the realm of the Spirit was so real. As a matter of fact, I just felt the palpable presence of God and uh, felt like that it was an affirmation of the fact that this was the will of God for us. You know, I do believe there is a conference of something in the ordination. There's at least the recognition that, you know, ultimately God has ordained you. We're simply affirming that. So I believe that uh, in laying hands on each one of them, including you, was uh, just a very emotional, deeply spiritual moment for me. As a matter of fact, I was a little surprised at how deeply it resonated within my spirit. I saw people break and weep. Uh, people react differently emotionally, obviously, but I just saw that the people who were kneeling there with the hands being laid on them uh, were deeply in experiencing the presence of God. So um, I am just thrilled with that. And I just want to encourage our ministers who have been called and touched by God. You're being affirmed by your church. You're being affirmed by the leadership that God has placed in position to acknowledge the call. And, uh, you know, one of the first questions we usually ask in the interview is, tell us about your call. And then we go back and visit that moment which may have taken place over a period of time or may have been a sudden moment of call. When we say, I know the Lord called me into the ministry. So we believe the Lord has placed this as a priority for the North Texas district. As we continue growing towards a thousand healthy churches, that's our goal. It's going to take a lot of people serving called by God in a lot of different places of service. And we just want to equip encourage and embrace uh, our ministers. So I say to all of our younger ministers who may be listening, we want you. We need you. We want to put a place at the table for you. You've got a chair at the table because we know that our my generation, which is a little ahead of yours, uh, we're going to pass that baton off someday. And we believe in this next generation that uh, some of the greatest leaders we've ever had are being identified now and they're being ordained now. I believe that too. Well, Dr. Clunch, thank you for your time today. Um, Any parting encouragement or bit of instruction you'd like to leave our ministers with? Hey, listen, we're ready to serve you. Our whole team at the North Texas District uh, want to answer your questions, help you through any of the processes you need to go through. Uh, we will we will help you walk this through together and want you to know, as we've used this theme now for two years, you really matter. And so I just encourage you, don't put it off. Get started now because you never know what's in that DNA of your call. 
That's true. Well, friends, thank you for listening with us today. And wherever you are in the North Texas district, whether that's our geographical bounds or if you serve as one of our missionaries abroad, we want you to know you do matter. We love you. Yes, we do. And we hope you have a wonderful week serving Jesus and his bride. Amen. The local church. Thank you.